0: we're in Romans chapter 12. And once again, just a reminder, we're going to take the Sunday services. I'll preach next, this Wednesday night on the book of Ephesians. And then on, on next Sunday I'll speak again on a testimony that is righteous before God and man. By the way, righteousness is something you'll see in your Bible many times. God is very concerned about righteousness. It takes the righteousness of Jesus to go to heaven. When you're witnessing someone, you'll oftentimes read to them. Romans chapter 10, verse 10. And it says, if, 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 we, if a man will believe in his heart, okay, uh, and, and confess God's righteousness, and then he, he will do that, he can be saved. The Bible talks about the righteousness in God. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says that God made Jesus to be sin for us who didn't have any sin of his own that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In 1 John chapter 2, the Bible tells us, if um, these things write I unto you, my little children, that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And do you know what the rest of it says? The righteous. The way we get to heaven is through the righteousness of Christ. But Righteousness practically is you doing what's right and me doing what's right and even in any given situation. It is doing the right thing. You're kind of interested to see uh, when we look at uh, in Second, Second Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for four things. For doctrine, what is right. For reproof, what is not right. For correction, that's how to get right. And then the rest of it says, for instruction in righteousness. That's how to stay right. So the Word of God is given to us for righteousness. And uh, we'll look at this later on, but in Romans chapter 14, 15, the Bible tells us the kingdom of God is not rules. It's not with what you eat and what you drink. It is not, it is not rules, and it's not uh, with meat and drink, the physical, but it is Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Those are abstract, but they're very practical. And righteousness is something that God majors on. And in the month of August, we're going to talk about a righteousness in regards to our personal conduct and our reputation. And people will say, well, I don't care if anybody thinks about me. You're not living the Christian life. The Christian life automatically, the true Christian life, makes you aware, number one, what Christ thinks about me and what others think about me. Your testimony. Now, I'm not I'm not saying that you can't, you can't be accused or things of that, and I don't think you should be a men pleaser. The Bible's very clear about that. We're supposed to do the will of God from our heart. However, your testimony matters. And we see in Romans chapter 12 through 16, I think, many evidences and many things that God tells us about our testimony. Just a real quick background, once again, for those of you who are not here this morning, the book of Romans begins its outline with the first three chapters, and it says it's about sin. Rank sin, religious sin, everyone has a sin problem. We, we've, if you witness to people, you'll come to that chapter 3 and verse number 10. There's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The first part of Romans is about sin, the second part is about salvation, chapters 4 and 5. And it speaks about salvation. So sin, salvation. Then we have sanctification. Chapter six, seven, and eight speak about uh, the flesh, the problem I have with my flesh, the law of God, and the, how that the law I can't keep. The law, the law is is uh, is against me. And then it talks about the liberty that comes through the person of the Holy Spirit. Chapter eight talks about the Spirit. And then we, we find the next chapters, 9, 10, 11, are about the sovereignty of God, especially in relation to Israel. And you'll see that, that, that a Jewish man named Paul is writing primarily to see where does Israel fit and where does the Gentile fit in God's ultimate providence and His plan. And then chapters 12, where we are tonight through 16, is about uh, the service and what the what for of the chapter. As Paul's MO was, he usually gave the, gave the doctrinal, then he gave the practical. And this is no, no different in Romans. He gives the doctrinal basis and the foundations, and he says, now listen, now that I've told you that, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And he tells us, first of all, our testimony should be one of appreciation. You should have a testimony that says, that lady is a grateful lady. That man is a grateful man. That teenager is always thanking God and thanking people. When you compliment them, they say, well, the Lord's very good, and we thank the Lord for that. I need to have a testimony of appreciation because of the mercies of God, because of what He has not given me and what He has given me, I should be grateful. So, the first evidence of testimony would be an appreciation. The second would be dedication. Present your body as a living sacrifice. I should be known as a Christian, so should you, as someone who is a dedicated Christian. How many know someone in your life that you would say they are a dedicated Christian? I know it. Everyone knows it. Do you have to think someone think about that? You know, usually those people in those seasons of dedication have been the best and the biggest blessing to your life. Some of you have dedicated grandmothers, dedicated Sunday school teachers, dedicated bus workers. Now, some of the sad thing is that some people don't stay dedicated. They put themselves on the altar and they pull themselves off later. One of the most difficult things, and by the way, if you can't think of a reason to stay faithful, stay faithful for the people you helped in years gone by. Nothing gives you quite the gut punch as someone who helped you and and ministered to you and modeled the Christianity, and now they're on Facebook and they look like the world. They used to teach you about godliness, and now they're no longer that way. It's just, it almost makes me want to throw up when I see that. And I think people aren't thinking about that, but dedication should be our testimony. The next thing is sacrifice. He said, I want you to give your life, your body, a living sacrifice. Sacrifice should be something that is a testimony in the life and times of John Wilkerson in your life. I find also it is not, it's a reasonable thing. A testimony that that I don't have to do the right thing, I get to do the right thing. I don't have to give, I get to give. I don't have to drive this bus, I get to drive this bus. I don't have to teach the son of the bus, I I don't have to be a security guard here, First I get to do it. Whatever He's given me to do is something I'm glad I get to do. It's the reasonable thing. If He died for me, I should live for Him. You know, oh I have to dress like this. Really? Oh, I can't go there. I can't do that. You know, we're independent, fundamental. See, that's not what God's saying. God said, listen, if I died for you, you should be able to live for me. It's just reasonable. And I think a good testimony is birthed out of appreciation, birth out of dedication, birthed out of, of sacrifice, and birthed out of just reason. It's a reasonable thing to live for the Lord. It's a reasonable thing to take the high road of holiness. When we know how much He's done for us, it's nothing for us to do that. And then we see another thing that testimony is, and we did this this morning just reviewing, is separation. I'll uh, have a testimony that I'm distinctively different from the world. The people in our, in our communities, the people you work with, what a sad t- commentary. I was with somebody the other day, and I mentioned someone's name. They said, really? They go to your church? They're a Christian? Oh, man, you talk about something that just hits you upside the head. Really? I didn't know that. You know, every man, every woman ought to live so the whole world knows they're a Christian. Especially those in their own house. It ought to be obvious, your husband, your wife, your kids, your mom, your dad ought to know that you are distinctively not conformed to this world system. And over and over again, the Bible tells us To be separate, to be in the world, but not of the world. The last prayers that Jesus prayed in John 17, and I think this is something that all of us i would like to challenge you to consider, is just reading John 17. It's the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the night before He was going to die, He prayed for you. Your name is not there. Your name, your actual name, J O H N or S A L L Y or whatever, your name is, is not there. But he prayed for all those who would believe on him after that prayer. So that was you. That's me. He said, Lord, I don't want you, Father, I don't want you to take them out of the world, but I want you to keep the world out of them. James, he said, You want to find a real Christian? You say there's someone around you that says they're religious? I can tell. He said, if a man seems to be religious and he doesn't bridle his speech, he is not giving and benevolent in his his spirit. He's not a giving person, so she's not a giving person, and they're not unspotted from the world. They don't have the world on them. They're not really all that. A, A godly person is known by what they say, how they give of their time, their effort, their love, their forgiveness, and how they keep themselves unspotted from the world. James chapter 1, you can see it in black and white. And here he says, we'll have a testimony that's obviously not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. We talked about that this morning, I don't want to reiterate it too much. A distinctive difference in, in my thinking, in how I view things. You know, the entrance of thy word giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. He said, boy, you and I, when we have the Word of God, and we're taking it in, and we're reading it, and it's, 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 it's saturating and marinating our thinking, we'll think differently and we'll act differently. If you've got a sour, bad attitude in your mind, you're going to have a, you, it's going to read all over your face, your actions, you won't have to tell anybody, everybody's going to know it. You start making little compromises in your life, you're going to find it's going to continue on. You'll grab hold of a greasy pole and ride all the way to the bottom. But it'll start with a with a faulty thinking. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Look at verse number three, would you please? For I say, through the grace given to me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now he's giving a testimony of humility. He said, Look, if you've been given opportunities to serve the Lord, stay low and go slow. No one ever fell off the floor. Keep it humble. Keep it, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think soberly. And that means, okay, what does God want me to do? One that God says is not wise is to compare ourselves among ourselves. Many years ago, I was sitting in a Carol's restaurant. I had just become the pastor of First Baptist Church of Long Beach. I was 32, 33 years old by now. And David Gibbs called and said, Brother John, I have a long history since uh, this church. I'm going to have time to be there. Could I, would you mind if I came on a Sunday? I said, I would be honored if you would to come. And Brother Gibbs has been a great blessing to me since my early years as a pastor for these 20 years, and he's helped, helped our family. He's loved us, and he wanted to be here for Lydia's uh, wedding, and uh, if he was going to be for the wedding, was like, I was going to have preach, but he said, Pastor, I'm in I'm in too many courtrooms, and if you and all the wherever I go into court on Monday or Tuesday, they always ask me, where have you been? How many people have you been with? What state you've been to? And he says, I don't know how crucial it is for me to be able to be at the next place, so I probably need to say I can't be with you because of the, the restraints. Your restraints are not as serious as some are, and so he couldn't come. But I remember him sitting to me, sitting in that in that little restaurant, he said, and I asked him, I said, brother. Brother Gibbs, I'm so overwhelmed because I'm 33. I was, I've preached seven messages in my entire life before I became the pastor of this church in a church service. I don't know what I'm doing, but I need some advice. What do you think I should do? And I started naming names of people that you would know and that I knew and that were so greatly used to the Lord. And he said, let me listen to this. He said, look up here, John. Look in my eyes right now. <laughs> looking right there at him with my little skinny self back then, you know. Looking at him, he said, look right here. here." I was looking at there, you know how Brother Gibbs is. He gets that finger going right there, you know. What I'm going to say next, you're not going to believe. I said, I know that for sure. I don't believe half of you say, you know, your stories are too far-fetched, Brother. I can't get it. Sounds like Brother Abdel preaching or something. I'm just (laughs) joking. He was waiting for that over there. No, he said, listen to me. He said, I think you need to be the best John Wilkerson that you can be and don't try to be anybody else. He said, You can't be anyone else. Just be you in your shoes with the Holy Spirit's help. You know, that was good advice for me. It helped me. It'll help you too. Many people spend their life comparing themselves among themselves like an idiot like a foolish thing. He said, look, when it comes to what God's called you to do, be comfortable in your skin. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think soberly. And that means, okay, what does God want me to do? There's some gifted, precious ladies in this room. And you can do things that no one else can do quite like you can do them. But you're trying to be like somebody else. Knock it off. Be you. Be you. Be a spirit-filled you in your skin, and you're going to find you'll be comfortable there. If you know God's going to have, you know, there, you can see so many illustrations. He went on to say, you know what? He goes, I've known some of the greatest leaders of all Christianity in my lifetime. He I've spent hundreds of hours with Lester Roloff. I spent hours with Brother Hiles. I would meet him at O'Hare and talk to him about different things, and would come to the college. And Lee Robertson, and he began, Tom Malone, he said, "We you know what you can find about every one of those men? You can't put any of them in the other man and come out with a similar situation. You know what they are? Jack Hiles is Jack Hiles. Lester Roloff is Lester Roloff. Tom Malone was Lester Tom Malone. Nobody can, they can't be like each other. You'll never find those two people the same. They're just people who found out what God wanted them to do, and they did it. And it starts with humility. It starts with humility. And you know, our testimony should be not only of appreciation and dedication, and separation, and, and distinctively thinking right and sacrifice. It ought, to, it ought to be a testimony of humility, of just, you know what? It doesn't mean I'm a piece of trash, I'm junk. No. He said, I want you to not think how you are to think, but think soberly. Why did God put you on the planet? What does He want you to do? And say, I'm, I'm going to do with purpose. When you see the word sober in the Bible, it means with purpose. It means He knows what He's supposed to do. You, you, someone who's drunk is not sober. That means they don't know what they're doing, they don't know what they're saying, they don't remember what they're saying, they're all over the place. They can't walk a straight line. They can't go anything with purpose. It's all over the place. He said, and when us, though, have a testimony of humility and comfortability in the purpose that God has for me. Look at the next verse, verse number four. It speaks of another testimony. And let's look at verse four and five. I'll put them together. Are you ready? Let's read them out loud together. Can we? For as we have many members in one body, so we, being many, Okay, this is this is a testimony of cooperation. I think if maybe one of the biggest heydays that Satan has is in division. He wants to divide us. He wants to divide a marriage. He wants to separate kids from their parents. He wants to cause problems in in a church, in fundamentalism, in Christianities. Always just. Just doing it the other, and I, I, I mentioned someone's name earlier in our service. Some of you probably say, well, now why would you do that? that? That's who I'm talking to right now. We, we can pick and choose. Well, I don't like that person. I don't like person. You know, probably you're going to spend the heaven in heaven with them. <laughs> Just because they don't cross their T's and dot their I's in the same thing, we are all need everybody. Christianity is a lot bigger than you think it is. It's a lot smaller than you think it is. There's a lot more people out there that are Christians, that are going to heaven, that are blood-bought children of God, who please the Lord, who don't necessarily do things the way I would do them or you would do them, but God, they love Christ. There's also a very small group of Christians, the worldwide. I think I shared this with you, but you know, uh, by God's grace, we have many, and we don't have a majority, but we have many Christians in public arenas in authority in our nation. I think it's the remnant that has kept us, um, the Christian nation, that given us the liberties we have presently. But you know, if the rapture came today, how would it affect Yemen? How would it affect Saudi Arabia? If the rapture happened today, how would it affect the Kremlin, Finland, Estonia? A lot, these, a lot of these, if the rapture, if Jesus came back today, now He has people in every tribe and country. He has every, everyone out there. But you know the truth of the matter is, if the Lord Jesus came back today, I think for the most part Saudi Arabia would click on like it's been clicking on for a long time. There's a few people who are saved in there, God's saving, but they would just kind of click on. I think one of the reasons America is kind of hard to find in tribulation situations and that kind of thing is because I think it's, this, this country is going to have some real issues when Jesus comes back. There's going to be a lot of damage control going on. And that's, that's a, that we're blessed people. And that's why we ought to give aggressively. That's why we ought to go. We ought to surrender to serve the Lord. We ought to be more soul conscious than anybody on the planet. God help us if there's someone in China more willing to be a soul winner than we would in this freedom. God help us if there's people in Papua New Guinea out there trying to get people Bibles and we want to walk across the street to witness to our neighbor. It's people that are willing to take on sacrifices and we're not willing to sacrifice. We'll give more money to dog food than we we'll to world to world evangelism. We'll spend more money at Culver's and McDonald's and, and Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts than we will to give to, to get a missionary to, to get out there and give a water, a water purifier out, to give the living water, to put up a radio station or do something, that, that, that kind of a thing. We're, we're, we're stinking thinking here. But I think He tells us we've got to cooperate. Do you make a good thing better? Do you really, do you, when you come together, do you have a testimony? Oh, now we got to get them to work with us. They're, they just, they, they make little problems. They make big problems little. Are you someone that comes in and makes a little problem big? Are you a loose cannon, just come in there and just blow your top, everything you and something doesn't happen the way you want to happen? Here we find in Romans chapter 12, he said, listen, you're members one of another. You're going to have to learn to cooperate with each other. Boy, whether it be in the in the in the in the pathfinders, or whether it be in the 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 audiovisual, or whether it be in the security, brother uh, Ernie had a meeting with security guards. The pastor is really blessed by the spirit and the cooperation of our of our of our church security guys, and I am thankful too. But it's good. is it's something. How good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together. How unity? Are you a unifying factor, or are you a divisive factor? Some people, we're glad when you walk in the room. Some of you, we're glad when you walk out. And it's usually what you bring to the table. Do you bring divisions? Are you continually the devil's advocate? We always need different perspectives, but are you the person we have to kind of walk around the eggshells with you? Because you're going to get mad and blow up, and I'm out of here. And it's all, you know, everybody's the same, you know, that's you. There needs to be an, a, a synergy, a cooperation that takes place. And you and I have that testimony. You have it. I have it. We're either bonding people or we're, we're dividing people. Now, I understand the biblical philosophy. And I'm not talking holding hands to everybody and singing kumbaya. Doctrine divides. Jesus I didn't come. I came to bring a sword. I know I'm going to be divisive. But with children of God and people of God and brothers and sisters of Christ... We need to think think twice about that and say, you know what? I am not going to be someone who's always bringing division. I want to bring peace. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. You know why? Peace has to be made. Your, Your room doesn't get cleaned on itself. Schools don't get organized just because you want them organized. You have to have people willing to cooperate. And you have a testimony, and it's either you're, you're in for, and I love to hear this, and you do too, when someone says about you, they're a team player. They don't just see. There's some people, they got tunnel vision. All they see is their little rodeo. All they see is what they're trying to accomplish. They don't care about anybody else. they got their own idea. And if you don't fit into their little telescope, it's too bad, so sad you're dad. And he said, look, you're forgetting a victory for ones, a victory for all. We're members one of another. And if you say, Pastor, I got that testimony, praise the Lord. If you don't have that testimony, quit it, admit it, and say, you know what, I'm done with that. I want to help. I want to be something that makes good things better, not just complicating matters. We're talking about a testimony, and Paul's getting where we live. I think every one of these a testimony of appreciation and dedication, a testimony of thinking right, a testimony of being distinctively different, not like the world, a testimony of humility, a testimony of cooperation. Let's look at the next verse, verse 6, 7, and 8, would you please? And this basically just, I'm going to skip over most of this, but let's just look at it. He lists seven gifts. Can you read verse 6 with me, everyone? Having then gifts, differing, Ministry. Let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching, and he that exhorteth on exhortation, or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. And he that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. In chapters in chapter twelve verse six eight, he's listing seven gifts. And I've taught in this before on Wednesday nights and other times, and, and actually we have one of the discipleship booklets on spiritual gifts. I think it would behoove you to get a hold of that, even if you have not done all the discipleship lessons. That would be a good one to get, get to. But it kind of tells us where the strengths that God gave you. They're gifts. It's interesting. He didn't say they're talents. He said they're gifts. Something that God has granted you when you got saved, you not only got salvation, but you got a strong suit. It's part of your DNA and it's part of your spiritual gift. That God gave you, and it's either, I think, it's either prophetic gifts, it's teaching gifts, it's ministering gifts, it's giving gifts, it's ruling gifts, it is, um, uh, I think I said teaching, if I didn't say that, I need to say that one, and then also the gift of mercy. There's seven of them. And most every, everybody, I think everybody has one, and we strive for all, but we thrive in at least one. Okay, so all of them are all good. Is it good to be a giver and a a ruler? Yes, be both of those. And the more Christ-like we become, the more gifted we are, the more we bring to the table. And so you strive, you strive for all, but you thrive in one of those. And I think these are things that that God says, be an example of using your gifts. The Bible says uh, a, a person's gift makes room for him. And there's room for your gift, some of you, I think most of us are ministers. If you want to talk about what are the, what's the most, more people have this gift than anything else, as a primary gift, I think it's, it's serving. God has given us, we don't necessarily want to make a big thing, we just want to know what to do so we can make something accomplished. We're not trying to be the chief jefe or the chief boss or someone that's in charge of everything, no. Just like, like can you tell me what you want me to do, and I'll go do it. But you do have to have people who are gifted at ruling. You need to have gifted people who are giving. You have people that are very strong about doctrinal truth and the Scriptures and soul winning and, and biblical things. We need those people. People who are given to mercy. I think it's interesting that, that um, the two men in charge of the RU ministry, Brother, Brother uh, Kingsbury and Brother Benny Burks, both of them, their spiritual gift is Mercy. Why? Because they're doing something, the RU ministry is one of the more difficult ministries on the planet. We thank God for Brother Merced and Brother Connor and those who help on Friday nights and those who help in the Better Roads Recovery Homes and things of that nature. It's wonderful, but it's not an easy ministry. There's a lot, there's one step forward, three steps back. You need to be able to humble yourself and, and care about the hurting. Well, if you ever get around Benny Burks or Paul, Paul Kingsbury, they cry all the time. They cry at, the, at the, just little things like, hmm, like wow, man. Why? Because they've got a merciful heart. At the same time, they're, they're giving people. They're very strong on truth. And the more Christlike we become, we become strong. We, we, thrive, for, we thrive in one and we strive for all. I think if we're going to have a testimony of people that say, you know what? That guy operates in his strength. She operates in her strength. If you're a gifted giver, whenever something comes up, you want to meet that need. You think about things in dollars. These folks are helping so much. All of us are trying to do something. I gave to it, Linda gave to it for the the police precincts. But the people who probably give the most, and God gives givers something to give, they think about dollar bills. They think, you know what? What can I do for that? They're not, oftentimes, the givers are not people that really enjoy teaching. They sit in the back, they evaluate things, and they give. They're frugal on their own situation. The biggest givers in our church usually are people you wouldn't think are big givers. They're the most sacrificial. They're the most, uh, they're the most hard on themselves. They're not someone who does that. Well, have a testimony of being strong in the gift that God gave you. Look at the next one, verse number 9. Would you look there with me? It's going to take a few more minutes. We'll go through this kind of quick. Here's a testimony. Let love be without dissimulation, without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Have a testimony of genuine love. Number 10, be kindly affectionate one to another, with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Have a testimony of kindness. I know, do you have a testimony of genuine love? Do people think that you love them just because of what you can get out of them? Are you only kind to someone because you know that they're gonna, they'll help you with your thing later on? Or do you have love that's genuine? Whether I get anything back or not, it doesn't matter. Whether I get a thank you note, it doesn't matter. It, it, I appreciate a thank you note, but it doesn't matter. I'm helping somebody. It's love without dissimulation, without hating the wrong, loving the good. Seeing the wrong, and just, I wish that didn't happen, but also, hey, I appreciate what they do about that. Loving, a, a, a testimony that's kind. of Be kindly affectionate one to another. In honor preferring one another. Are you someone, you've got to have it, they build a street after you one way? <laughs> it's got to be your way or no way? Are you the mom that everyone says, when mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Are you the person to say, you know I, don't know, I never saw Mom get terribly mad. She's so selfless; she wants it good for everybody. Are you the wife? Well, you know how his wife is. You know how his, you know how her husband is. Well, if he comes, it's only his way. If he does, if he's not a part of it, he didn't think that up. He won't participate in that. He said, "Look, be kindly affectionate one to another. This is a testimony." Look at the next verse, if you would please. He said, I want you to be not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Uh, he said, I want you to be fervent in your, in your in fervent and spiritual, and spirited in your service. Now, this is really a good, this is a good attribute all of us ought to have, is that, you know, if there's something to be done, we're going we're to be all in. We're going we're to try to make it good. It's so beautiful, and, and of course, Brother brother. Colston and many others. Brother Ray Young is on the platform tonight, and these guys have overseen huge events in our church history. But it's such a blessing to have people that you can just depend upon. It's such a bother to have someone who's unfaithful. They're just not, they're not all in. Our, our ministry is blessed by people who say, you know what, this is what God wants me to do, I'm going to do the best job I'm going to be. If I'm an usher, I'll be at my door. If I'm a nursery worker, I'll be at my spot. I'll be there early, and no one's going to come in late wait for me. I thank God for those who do the the, um, bookstore, Annie Lutz and Abby and Miss Carol. These people, you know, they don't have to do that. But you know, they're there early. They're all in. If we can help, that's what we want. Pastor, you want this, we'll get this done. This is a beautiful thing to have someone who is fervent in spirit serving the Lord. And I want to encourage you, laziness is a scourge of the ministry. Nothing quite saps. A family, like a lazy member, that's always, take the garbage out to the, to, the, to the dumpster, and you find it outside the door with a raccoon going through it. You find it around the corner, you know, all tore up. You're like, oh, I know who did that. Always cutting corners. Had a guy one time it drove me crazy, worked for me, and every time I'd ask him to do something, you know, Pastor, I've got a very experience with that. But, you know, I think Brother so-and-so would do a much better job with that, and good to give him that experience, you know. I said, I'm I'm talking to you. You want me to do it? Yes, I want you to do it. I will, but I just think other people need to have the opportunity. No, I don't want them to have the opportunity. I want you to have the opportunity. So many excuses. But what a blessing to say, you know what, pastor, or boss, or if you need it, you let me know. We'll get it done. I don't care if it's folding chairs or if it's preaching messages. I don't care if it's going to jail or working on a bus route, if it's drive, whatever. Let's get this done. And we find a testimony here. And once again, I think we're seeing the same Bible. Are you okay with this? I don't think I'm manufacturing these thoughts. I think they're just right in the Bible here for us. Testimonies of being fervent in spirit, excited, not drudging, not lazy, not draining, but infusing the work of the Lord with a fervent attitude. Look at the next one if you can, please. Number 13, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. This has to do with, with and did I skip one? I sure did. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. These are gifts that are given to an exhorter. Usually people who, who are good counselors, they rejoice in the hope that God's going to help this person. They're patient to the tribulation because working with people is going to create a lot more drama. But they continue instant in prayer. They're willing to go to prayer on behalf of someone. They're interceders. They're intercessors. They're interceding for somebody else. These are attributes that are there. And boy, I would to God, thank God for people who pray. Thank God for people who who extend hope. You're going to do this. God's going to help you. We're going to get through this. Thank God for people who are patient when things don't happen the way we want them to happen. These are attributes that, that you can be known by, that can be testimonies of God's people. And then, of course, he says in the next passage of Scripture there, he said, I want you to bless them, or excuse me, distributing, giving, distributing to the necessity of saints, giving to hospitality, using what God's given you for the benefit of others. Verse 14, bless them that persecute you, bless and curse not. He said, this, is, this has to do with deference and patience with people. It directly goes to a person who is a ruler. See, each of these verses nine, verse nine goes primarily to the prophet. The next one goes to the minister. The next one goes to the teacher, being fervent. These them have have direct correspondence to those. But I do think these are these are good for all of us here. But this passage of Scripture, it tells us here that I want you to be, take what God's given you and help other people. But to the ruler, he says, bless those that persecute you. You know how you can get some criticism? Stand up and say you're a leader in any area. Just just do something in leadership and people are going to criticize you. What is your first response when someone criticizes you? You know. I'm going I'm to deal with them. I'll give back to them what they gave to me. And oftentimes, if you're a leader, you have, more, you have more loyalty from people than they do. Criticism is going to come anytime you're in charge of anything. He says, listen, if you're in charge of something, you're trying to get something accomplished, those who give you hard times, bless them that persecute. Bless and don't curse. Look beyond the problem people and get to the project without making them fit. You know, I think some of the things the devil does, especially with rulers, he creates problems with people and they have to spend all their time working to their problems instead of getting to the project. When they could say, you know what? I'm not going to spend time. I'm not answering that email. I'm not going to create all this time trying to defend myself. We got a project to do. And go around telling how bad these people are because they oppose you or they give you a hard time. He said, don't bless them. Bless and curse not. Then he tells us the next one, the next passage of Scripture. And I'll just read the rest of it and make a few comments. Let's continue on. Rejoice with them. Verse 15, would you read it with me? Rejoice with them. He said, here, this is, I want you to be sensitive to others. If if they're happy, be happy for them. If they're sad, weep with them. Be sensitive. And by the way, these are testimonies that we have. Some people, they won't come to you with their blessings or their burdens. Why? Because you won't care. But we ought to be someone who says, you know what, if you've got someone, even if they get something, if my car's broke down and they got a new car, I should say, you know, I'm glad. I'm so glad the Lord's honored you with that. If I got laid off and they got hired or they got a raise, we will say, you know, I'm rejoicing with you. If they had a baby and you're waiting to have a baby, you still can rejoice with them. And you can weep with those that weep. You can, you can be there as someone to go with them. These are testimonies that we all can have to say, well, you know, I'm just not like that. You need to be like that. These are attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, who had all six of these, seven of these gifts? Jesus did. He was the perfect God man. And the closer I get to Jesus, the more I will emulate these particular things. And now I have that testimony of Christ. And when the world looks at you, they'll see Jesus. People will say, well, you know, I saw Jesus in them. Why? Because they they rejoiced with them that rejoiced. They wept with them that wept. They worked hard. They were fervent in spirit. They loved without assimilation. They loved everybody. It seemed like they had no enemies. When people got in their way and gave them a hard time, they seemed to love them in spite of that they blessed them instead of cursed them. These are attributes, and these are testimonies that God's people need to have. And listen, friend, when it's in you, when it's in me, then whenever you talk, people will listen. You'll be an E.F. Hutton. If your life is strong, if your life emulates these things, then what you say will carry a lot more weight than if we are hypocritical. We just say, do as I say, not as I do. then he goes on to say in this passage of Scripture, and we'll, we'll read it. Let's look at it. Here we go. Look at, if you would please, at verse number 16. Read out loud with me. Everybody, please. It has a Bible. Read it. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things. Be not wise in your own conceits. Verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of who? In the sight of who? So, are we supposed to care what people think about us? Are we supposed to behave in such a way that people will watch us? Yes. You're the Bible this careless world will read. You're the sinner's gospel. You're the scoffler's creed. You're the Lord's last message given in deed and word. What if the type is crooked? What if the print is blurred? What if our hands are busy doing other things than his? What if our feet are walking where sin's allurement is? What if our lips are speaking of things this life would spurn? How can we hope to help our Lord Jesus and encourage Him in the lives of people and welcome His return. Listen, He said, provide things honest. you got something you owe somebody, pay it. You don't have the money to pay it? Go to them and tell them, here's what I've got, here's when I'll do this. Work out arrangements. Why? Because you're representing the Lord. Don't avoid them like a bubonic plague. Settle it. Whatever's honest, whatever's the right thing, do the right thing in the sight of all men. Let's finish the reading, if we can, verse number 18, if it be possible, and it's not always possible, but most of the time it is, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt both keep coals of fire upon his head. And then would you read verse 21 with me, everyone? And you can, you can cross-reference that to verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto what? Wrath. You know, one of the things the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Be angry and let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place unto the devil. One of the things that, that really creates strongholds is whenever we're angry and we sleep on it. When you're angry and you sleep on it, and it just, any kind of sin you're not willing to commit, you're willing to confess, it drives deeper strongholds into our minds, and our heart, and opens up ourselves to satanic opposition. And I'm not kidding you, wherever satanic opposition is, I'd like to be somewhere else. Wherever there's something, a stronghold of Satan, I'd like to be done with that. And you can, many of us, we're holding grudges and anger and animosity towards someone and we sleep on it night after night and you can't even go to sleep because you're thinking about that person, that event. And you think you're winning, but we're really losing. Well, I've got them. They know i blocked them on Facebook. They know I'm mad. And you're drinking liquid draino, hoping it hurts the person that you think hurt you. And you're you're driving the stake of strongholds deeper and deeper inside your heart and your mind. He says, don't do that. Overcome evil with good. And don't give place to wrath. God says, put away anger. Put away wrath. Do you know what that means? You can do it. Anything God tells you to do, you can do it. If you don't do it, there's nobody to blame but the guy you look at in the morning. The girl you look at, that's you. It's on you and not on me. I, I, can't, I can't handle that for you. You can't handle it for me. May God help us.